Well, tonight Luke tells us the story of the, uh, the first Pentecost, the first of those uh, classic Jewish festivals that happens 50 days after the Passover. And this is the this, this story of, of uh, the Spirit coming and, and of all these crazy events. And he wants us to know what it means. That's his big thing. Now, one thing we're going to get to, and I think something that's important for us, is to ask how is it that we build a spirit? build spiritual community, because that's actually where we ended. So it's actually really beautiful for Chris to start our service with actually where we're going to end. How is it that actually all of these things ended up in a spiritual community? So let's dig in. Our story begins, verse 1, with 120 people gathered in the one place, and they, they hear a strange sound. It's as, it's as if there's a wind blowing, though they feel no wind unusual and then they see this strange light as, as if there's fire descending on their heads but they feel no heat it's actually quite similar to what often happens when a, a divine being manifests itself in the physical realm uh, what often happens is, is that the, the author who tries to record it for us in the Bible can only scratch around for analogies to describe the experience they, they hear a sound that's like a violent wind they see what appears like a flame. They just, who knows what they saw, but they're struggling for metaphors to be adequate to describe what they saw. But, but, but soon we discover that there is actually something that's very real. And these people start to begin, sorry, they start to speak in other languages all of a sudden. And there's multiple independent verifications of this because, quite conveniently, the Holy Spirit has chosen to rock up at this festival of Pentecost. The Jewish people from the four corners of the globe have all descended on Jerusalem. And you'd have to say, this is actually a pretty clever marketing ploy. This is a very cool way to gather a crowd, if you'd think about it. If you're in a foreign city, right, how would you reach into the heart of every visitor in town? Well, by speaking the one thing they know that they won't hear there because they're far from home. Their heart language. The kind of thing that RJ and Haley are wanting to do for the K people, that they hear God, the Holy Spirit, speak in their heart language by translating the Bible. Now, that's exactly what happens. A crowd is gathered by this because everyone hears, hears the unexpected and so what, is, what on earth is going on? And that's the big question. The big question here for Luke is not just, not just what, um, uh, you know, uh, what's the prediction and, and, and really is this really something of God happening? They're saying, we know something of God's happening. That's obvious. The question is, what does it mean? What does it mean? The crowd gathers because each person hears this. And if you say, you know, Galileans, go home. You're drunk. But even they, if you look carefully at the text, even they don't actually think that these Galileans are drunk. So you, some of you will be young, and so you, you, will, you will know the go home, you're drunk meme. Um, so go home, you see the bus has got I'm a boat on its front little display there. Say, so go home bus, you're drunk. And so then thereafter there's memes everywhere and everywhere. Go home rainbow, you're drunk. All sorts of these kind of things. Now, of course, they're not actually saying that the rainbow's drunk. Just like these guys weren't actually saying they're drunk. They're just, it's sass. They're poking fun at them. They're genuinely speaking in other languages. Now, this isn't the passage to discuss all the various forms of what our charismatic brothers and sisters, some of 
whom may be you, uh, not to discuss the issues of, of speaking in tongues or what they might call this prayer language or things like that. We can have a crack at that another day from a different passage that's more suitable. But it's fairly conclusive that here, the tongues mentioned are earthly languages. The, the people hear the message in their own language. They, they hear the wonders of God in their own language. And then again in verse 11. And Luke's interpretation is clear. They can hear the languages because in verse 4, as you've got on the screen, the apostles are speaking in them. So, so if we're wondering what's going on in this miracle, well, the different languages are only audible because the different languages were being spoken. In fact, it's a, in a way, it's similar to another fiery incident in which God empowers a tongue to free captives. You know the story of the non-burning bush? Uh, inappropriately named the burning bush. See, Moses saw a bush that looked like it was burning, but obviously wasn't. That was just his, his metaphor for it, because it wasn't burned up, like the tongues of fire and the apostles and the 120. He was told to speak a message of freedom for the Hebrew captives from Egyptian slavery, just like Jesus says that in Luke 4, the first book of, of Acts, Luke Acts, one, two volumes, that Jesus' purpose is to set free the captives of Israel. And in both cases, God empowers the tongues of his servants to enable to say what he needs them to say. And maybe in another parallel, we notice that just like freeing the Israelites from Egypt, this is also a message spoken only to Israelites. Did you notice that? It's a bit strange. You, you wouldn't think so, because you think, hold on, we've got all of this... Oops, no, too far. We, you've, you've got all of these different languages, and it might feel like, oh, this is the gospel going out to the nations, but it's not. This is the Jews who've been scattered across the world in all of their exiles, just coming back in. This is home territory, but they've been in exile for so long, they, they, they speak different languages. But they come in for the festivals, for Pentecost. So, as an analogy, it's like saying you're going to send some jars of Vegemite to, say, Anzac Cove in Turkey, to a resort in Bali, and to a pub in London. Okay, you said it all over the world, but you know there's only Australians are actually going to eat it, right? Not only because it's Vegemite, no one else eats it, but because those places are just where Australians are scattered. There's always Australians in Bali and London and in Anzac Cove. This is what the Holy Spirit has arranged here. His message to be heard by the lost people of Israel, the remnant who's left over of God's people, to remake them into God's people. That's what's going on. We, have not, we are not yet going across international boundaries. But that said, they know that. They are, they are God's people, they're Israelites, and yet they've got no idea what on earth this stuff means. What is this? We can't interpret what is there for us. We don't know what the events mean. And so up steps Peter. We're not drunk, he says. Pub's not even open yet. What you're witnessing is what our collective great-great-granddad Joel spoke about generations ago. This is the beginning of a new era. This is the era of the poured out Holy Spirit. Now, it's important to get this right because it's the logic around which Peter's whole speech turns because it starts here and then comes back here. This stuff you're seeing, it's a sign that the Holy Spirit has been sent. The prophesying, the speaking God's message, it's because God has done what Grandpa Joel said he would do and has sent his spirit. It's how it's all happening, both men and women prophesying. Remember, we established that last week, there's men and women in this 120. And that's exactly what was predicted. Signs and wonders, the sky turning to darkness when Jesus was crucified. And crucially, 
It's, this is now the day, this new moment of the Spirit being poured out is the day when everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's this message of a new era. But there's other things to explain too, Peter says. He's got a lot of Old Testament to get through. You all know about Jesus. Did you notice how he assumes that in the, in the text? He says, oh, you, you guys know all that. You know about the Jesus stuff. You've heard about all the miracles, the signs and the wonders that he did. Like, like you guys know that they were from God. He actually assumes that. And that's what makes the next bit so sad. You knew it was from God. You knew the signs and wonders meant that he was from God. But you killed him anyway. Yeah, it was God's plan. God was working it out for good. He wanted to, to, to rescue, but, but you killed him. And you knew it. It wasn't ignorance. Maybe you didn't care. Maybe you were preoccupied. Maybe you were lazy. You didn't want to stand up against the Sanhedrin or whatever. But you killed it. Sure, you used the men without law, literally the Romans, uh, the ones who weren't under the law to do the actual deed. But it was you. Jesus, who deep down knew that he was from God. And yet, the God who they're doing that to, but God, God raised him to life from the dead. Raised him to life from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, says Peter, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. This is a big thing. And it was not the thing that they deserved. This was, this was a God's hand thing, says Peter. It's, it's, a, it's a, a pre-announced beforehand to David, if you know your Bible, he says to them. Because I, I can confidently tell you, he says, and this is the, one of those moments where you start to feel once again how evidence-based this whole faith in Jesus thing is for Peter. He's like, David said, right? Psalm 16.10. David says that, you know, uh, my body will also rest in hope because you will not let your Holy One see decay. I won't, I won't be abandoned in the grave. But like... The tombs okay that well, I don't know where David's tomb was in Jerusalem, but he's he's confident that it's right there and they can go check at any time. It wasn't him. He's dead. But don't you get it? He's talking about Jesus. I've seen him. Do you know what's happened happening for the last 40 days? It's been nuts. But Jesus has been continually rocking up and then having breakfast, have eating fish, hanging out with us, doing stuff. It's just, this is this is very convincing. And it, and it's 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 not David. He can't have been talking about himself because he, he is dead. I can go see his bones, but Jesus, I can't find them because they're, they're nowhere because he is risen. God has made this Jesus. This is, this, is the, this, is, this is the meaning of it. The facts that they're dealing with, that they are trying to come to terms with, is that they can see David's tomb. David said, one day the Holy One is not going to see decay, and yet they cannot find Jesus' body. And Jesus is walking around and appearing to people and has then ascended to heaven and they saw it happen. And Peter says here, look, do you know what this means? This means that God has made that guy, this Jesus whom you crucified, they have, God has made him the king. He's made him both Lord and Christ, Lord and Messiah. And this time, when they hear this, the same people who've been around Jerusalem for a while, they've come back for the festivals, but they're probably there at the Passovers when Jesus went up to the temple and cast out the money changers and things like this. I mean, this is, these are people who obviously got the means to travel back to Jerusalem for the festivals. 
in a way that had never been true before, they actually get cut to their heart. They understand what they've done. It's like that, isn't it? Like, I've been told plenty of times that I've stuffed up. Many, many times. And sometimes I don't agree. And sometimes I don't want to agree. And sometimes I don't like it. And sometimes I stomp my feet. And other times... And sometimes it breaks my heart if I know that I've hurt a friend. Or, or if God's Spirit moves in me so that I can see the wrong that I've done. And that's them now. Their, their inner person has a spiritual scalpel taken to it as they realize what it is they've collectively done. You see, this is, this is the thing. Like, like they... If you think that they were cut to the heart, that, they, that they're willing to say sorry, they repent and turn back to God here because of the power of Peter's logic, because he, he had an airtight case, like, like, I discipline my children. I have airtight cases regularly, and I'm still wrong, right? This is, this is, it doesn't matter. That doesn't change it with human beings. You can, can be so convincing, it makes no difference. This is the work of the Holy Spirit, a new thing. The joy of his work. And so Peter says, God has raised this Jesus life. We're all witnesses of it. We need you to know. We've been seeing this. He's exalted to the right hand of God and he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and he has poured out what you now see and hear. You see, if you're wondering what this is a sign and what's it pointing towards... There's, there's this events and what's the significance? I want to tell you what is the significance of everything that has happened and everything that you have seen. It is that he is now exalted to the right hand of God. Jesus Christ, this man who you had opinions about and would, would, would critique this sermon and, and like this bit and not like that bit, and he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out this magical thing that you now see and that you now hear. And so this thing that, that, that no Israelite had ever really truly done, this thing that Joel talked about earlier in chapter 2, where he says, rend your hearts, not your garments, in repentance. Don't just put an outward show on. Change the inner soul. The Holy Spirit has done that. These guys have mourned their sin against God deeply. They now hate the sin, not just making a show of it on the outside, but still inside. But I'll go back to that later, because it's comforting. It's a beautiful thing. It's a different thing. And so they end up, they end up producing this incredible community. They devote themselves, this new community, these 3,000 people who, who say, what must we do to be saved? And who, who realize that they've done wrong, who realize that they've actually crucified the Lord of glory. Who, like you imagine the, 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 the guilt and the, and the stuff. And, and Peter beautifully pronounces the freedom and forgiveness in Christ. And it produces this joyful community. Uh, they devoted themselves to three things, three, three, three marks of their community. Uh, the apostles' teaching, food, and prayer. This is a pro church with good priorities for me. This is good. Food together, teaching, prayer. See, see this church is, is spiritually united. They're, they're, they're devoted to, to, to being taught. They're learning about Christ, to, to humbling themselves under teaching about who this Lord and Savior is. 
And they pray together. They connect with God while connecting with each other daily, seeking communion with God together. That's not easy. I, um, I, I, I meet up with people. <laughs> That's what I do a lot of my time. And um, it's easy enough to say a prayer in a growth group. Well, for some of us, it's not. For some of us, it feels impossible. That's anxiety-producing enough. It's really scary. And yet, lots of us do. And yet, if I, when I catch up with people and I say, hey, we've just, we've just really gone deep and we've just worked through all the things, and I say, hey, what would it be like now if you wanted to you know, talk to God, I'd love to be with you while you took that stuff to Jesus, just told him exactly what you told me. And that's hard. It's vulnerable, it's difficult, it requires a movement of the Spirit, it requires discipline, it requires together working together in love to get to the point where we're safe enough with each other to be vulnerable and real together with God. It's, this, this is not nothing that happens here. I want, you to, I want you to understand, it's not just they had a prayer meeting and scheduled it. They were real with each other. They sought communion with God and each other together, being open and honest, confession. They invested the time. They were there daily in the temple courts. Kind of interesting. It's very Jewish still, isn't it? In the temple. They're there at the temple every day. We'll pick up on that more as we go along. And you see that they're in each other's homes and the temple, so both in, in, in everyday life and in the temple. And that's what this breaking of bread is about. That's what the food is about. It's not about the food. It's about everything, family and relationship that food is. So in that sense, it is about the food. Because it is that. It's not, it's, it, it's all, God created to, to be that together. The food, the, the meal, the, the acceptance of a church family together. By the way, we're having, um, we're going to have uh, supper after church again next week. I'm making soup. So if you don't like pumpkin soup, and you're not on the supper roster and serving other weeks, you're welcome to come along, and that way I'll have to buy less pumpkins. Um, and uh, you can bring some bread or bring a soup to share. Oh, and just a reminder as well, or maybe some of you don't know because you're newer-ish, um, Friday night at the Kutuzov's house is fish and chips night, and so we always just get home, plonk, and order fish and chips, and if there's other people who rock up, we just order more fish and chips. So come around to our house uh, any Friday night that you like if you... Just double-check with us that we, we almost always are there, but just call first, don't rock up on it now. It might be cold outside. You see, the normal here for this community, though, was if the church family was their family, their friends, their inner circle, and they had so much joy in it. The needs of the other matter to them as much as their own, isn't it? Isn't it just delightful to see when someone has needs, uh, everyone just rushes to meet the need? Everyone comes and if they need to sell something to meet the need, they do it. The addition of another person, in fact, they are daily more converts are being added to their church. Now, I know that some of us will feel a lot of sort of like emotional kind of like um, uh, stress or fatigue from people coming in and, and, and you feel like, oh, I've got to welcome a new person, but oh, there's a whole other person to add to my life, a whole lot of other relational obligation and responsibility. That's, that's really, really hard. And I get that, but there was a joy here. There was a connection with God, a spiritual healthiness that allowed them to overcome that. Because it's a real thing. I'm not saying it's not. But they were another soul rescued. It's a beautiful picture, that early church. Now, what do these events mean for us? 
I'm going to go for two things. First one is, we live in 2023 AD. You, you live in the era inaugurated by, by this event, by these moments. Uh, the creator of the world has made the man, Jesus Christ, the focal point of this whole universe. Like one specific Jewish man is alive now and the CEO of reality. He is the Lord and he is the Christ, the master and commander. That's the era that you live in, his reign. Uh, an older Christian man once tried to get me into graffiti. It was interesting. Uh, you know how our modern dating system works. It's got the AD, you know. Time is broken up into two things, um, uh, BC and AD. Before Christ, and when I was young, because I just assumed it was, the first one was BC, before Christ, I assumed the second one was after death. So, you know, <laughs> that, was, that was what I thought it was. Um, which is, you know, that's, that makes sense if you think of it in English. But the, the, the truth is, is that it, it's Latin, apparently, Anno Domini, the AD the year of our Lord. So this is 2023. Now, they've got the dates kind of wrong exactly for the year of our Lord, but that's okay. Roughly, the 2023rd year of the reign of Jesus Christ as the risen Lord of this world. That's how our dates work. Now, this older Christian man, he told me that we get the emphasis all wrong. So when I, you know, when people ask what's the date, and I'll say, oh, it's 2023, I probably don't even say the AD on the end. It's like, who does that? Whereas if we were to view time as a quality, as a season, rather than as a quantity, perhaps, like our Ecclesiastes series encourages us to do, the important part's not the number, is it? You see, what's the year? Well, the brother encouraged me to say, it's not 2023 AD. It's 2023 AD. It's AD. That's when we are. And so he said, keep a pen on you. So anytime you see a, a 2023, write a bigger AD after it. Because what's important is not exactly how many years have elapsed since the West started counting them. But the era that those numbers fall within is the reign of the risen King Jesus. We have got different seasons of life to navigate, but the one season you are never not in is the season where Jesus is the King. Now, second one. That early church. Wow. How good would it be if that church was early church? Beautiful. Don't we all want that? What a community. What love, what joy. But what did it take to get there? What did you say when discussing what was necessary to produce a beautiful church community? And, and by the way, I commit that I don't, I, I don't seed any questions for the person from up here that's like, I'm going to then make you feel dumb for any answer that you give in the, in, in the way that the sermon works out. So you can feel free to like say stuff and it, there's, there's never going to be like a trick in that, so you know. Um, because I suspect that everything that you guys said is actually really important parts of producing beautiful church communities. But I want to suggest here that the reason this church community is like this is because spiritual communities are spiritually produced. Spiritual communities are spiritually produced. You see, we can want the good thing. We could want to have a church community like this. And yet trying to build this, this, this good community, well, won't actually achieve it. Wanting good community will not build good community. It doesn't work that way. See, what made this church like this? It was actually the Spirit changing their hearts so that they responded to the truth of the gospel in humility, in being willing to have been wrong and yet loved by Christ. It was the work of the Spirit in them. 
And you think, okay, so how do we get this work of the Spirit to do that amongst us? Well, I mean, you know, we, we can't force the Spirit's hand. Like, you can't, you can't, you can't make Him do it. Otherwise, you all would have. But if you think about it, producing communities like that is actually what the Spirit wants to do. That's His business. That's what He's up to. That's what He's here. Spiritual communities are spiritually produced. And so, brothers and sisters, what we do is we humbly go to God as sinners whose, sin is not, whose, whose our sin was the sin that nailed Christ to the cross. We go to Him humbly, open-hearted, vulnerably, with our heart rent. So we devote ourselves to the teaching of the Word of God and the breaking of bread with each other and to prayer. See, we all want this community, but are we willing to face the kind of... Well, I mean, there's a few things to face, but one of the things to face is the kind of truth that it's going to take in order to get there. You see, those people were so thoroughly shown that they had done the wrong thing. They were were in the principal's office. They had just received, you realize you killed God. You realize you killed your Messiah. Like, it's not small. It's, It's hard. My level of shame at my own sin is pretty significant. And it's not literally traipsed out in the street like this was. But do you see what it actually brought about when it was humbly faced and taken to God? It actually produced this kind of community. When that level of forgiveness, when that level of openness, when that level of confession occurred, so that God's love could transform those who were willing to admit that they were full of sin. Are you willing to hear that your sin is what Christ died for and what he died of? Mine. Now, I have to admit, I have wanted the result. I've wanted to make the churches that I've been a part of like this early church. But I need to repent of not being committed to the process by which it happens. The process of devoting myself to God. The process of, of leading my family's lifestyle to be devoted to God dedicating myself to going to him with his people together. See, the question that we've got to ask ourselves in this one is, what is your devotional life like? What is your life with God like? I'm not trying to shame you out. This is, just the, this is, this is the route to joy. I just wanted to, to point you towards the, the, the place to go to bring about a community like this. I've seen people doing this in the last few weeks, being willing to be open and honest and real and vulnerable and walking towards each other in relationships. Are you walking towards God? Are you listening to him in the scriptures? Are you reminding yourself of the gospel each day? That hard work. You know how hard that is when you're just sort of getting through the day, just autopiloting, and that hard work of pulling yourself together and stopping and saying, no, I'm going to be here, I'm going to be present in this moment, and God and I, we're going to talk and we're going to do business and we're going to, I'm going to ask you to be the God that you say that you are and speaking to him. It's hard work. It's a discipline. My, I think it's going to take time for all of us to take our next step. That's by definition kind of what it is. To each of us to take our next step no matter where we're at. And I wonder if one way that you might do it is to consecrate one thing, one moment, maybe one moment in the week, maybe one time, maybe one activity you'd otherwise do, maybe one stress you'd otherwise worry about, and consecrate that one thing instead to God, to be dedicated to being with him, and with his people. Are you trying to do it alone? 
none of these guys were trying to do alone. Do you notice that? That's not how they grew that. They, I suspect just like us, they can't. They're in growth group like every single day, and they didn't even care if it's an official growth group or not. They just want to get together, commune with God and with each other, eating, learning, and praying. Spiritual communities are spiritually produced. And so the best thing that, the best thing that you can do for Soul Church is to invest in your walk with Jesus. And I've seen the beautiful fruit of that here at our church. Or actually, maybe I spoke like a modern there. Maybe the best thing that we can do together for us as Jesus Church is to dedicate ourselves to walking with Jesus and walking with each other. Now, I used to, I used to work... Um, uh, I promise, promise Beck I'd put this one in there because she graduated recently. I used to work at a, um, as a robing assistant at uh, graduation ceremonies. Um, so uh, people would come in and we'd sort of get the right robe size on them so they wouldn't trip over it, the right hat, make sure the hat was on the right way around, um, uh, get them all dressed up. And th- it, everything can easily fall apart. It's quite, yeah, yeah, Hannah's just like, you yeah, know, that PhD gown, I'll tell you what. And yours, PhDs aren't too bad generally. But they're hard to pin and then you pin through the silk. Anyway, there's a lot of technical stuff you've got to know how to do this. And um, one day I was, uh, I was at the Gold Coast. Yeah, Gold Coast, that fine educational institution, Griffith Gold Coast. Um, a lot of, uh, there was a lot of blonde, a lot of blonde in the lineup of the graduands as they're getting ready to graduate. And uh, I was walking along, just fixing up everyone's robes, fixing up, fixing up, okay, you're, you're all look all right, okay. And I just walked along, and so I just walked up to this next person, this next person in the line, just put my hands up, so sort of trying to adjust the, the, the bits on the sleeves. And, and this, 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 you know, lovely blonde girl was sort of like, I've just walked up to her with my hands like this. She's just hugged 50 people in a row. So she's just like, ah, <laughs> jumps out, grabs the guy who she's never seen before in her entire life and just out of habit just hugs me. And um, like everyone else just bursts out laughing in front of her. And the poor girl, completely humiliated, um, totally understandable. See, it looked like this signified a hug. What it really signified was, I'm just trying to help you. When you look at this passage, when we think about it through the week, when you think, oh, yeah, that's right, Pentecost. Oh, yeah, that's right, God sending his Holy Spirit. Oh, yeah, that's right. What is that going to signify for you? Don't, don't, don't miss the right thing. You live in AD. Jesus is the Lord of this time. He is the one for whom you're created and the one to whom you are purposed. He desires us to be one little part of his bride his church, and that spiritual community, he wants to produce that in a spiritual way. It's going to come from Jesus. It's going to come from the Holy Spirit. So let's pray together now that that's what God will produce in us. Can you join me? Heavenly Father, you have been kind to us. You have made us your people we, like those who first heard, don't deserve it. And yet, Lord, it's really hard to, really hard to, want, to not want to look like we sort of deserve it a little. Father, please, we pray, help us to rend our hearts, to be open to being forgiven, that as we admit more truth, that more of what's true about us will be taken to you and be wiped out taken away. Father, we ask that your spirit would do what he loves to do. Holy Spirit, wash us and cleanse us, change us. 
celebrate with us the joy that we already have as we break bread together and have chats and hugs and reconnect each week and each move through the middle of the week. And Father, bind us together that we would not be doing, doing this thing alone because that's not, that's not possible. Because your objective, Lord, is to build this beautiful new people. And Father, we ask that you would do that with us. In Jesus' name, amen.